Sorry to disappoint you So what was your expectation? Nah, I'm just an everyday dude Oh, you expected perfection? This is what Christianity is supposed to be like I make mistakes Like, lots of mistakes I'm just trying to do the best that I can do I guess I'm just imperfectly human Welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Human podcast. I am your host, Mr. Daly. I want to thank you for tuning in to another week. And I want to give a shout out to all our listeners on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, TuneIn, Transistor, wherever you are listening in from, we appreciate you. I keep looking at the numbers. The numbers keep going up. So I am very grateful. Um, you are truly appreciated. So for those of you that know me or for those of you that don't, if you're new, I am David Daly. I am the principal consultant at Yellow 8. Um, I've been an analyst in the end. Also, again, I've been in the analytics sector for 20 years and consulted for the last 13. I am passionate about helping analytical leaders eliminate the blockers and achieve their organizational vision. Yellow 8 is a business dedicated to helping analytical departments structure for success Our mission is to unblock the path to strategic analytics and data science by putting in the right foundations. And if you want to find out more about Yellow 8, please visit www.yellow8.co.uk. So this is another, another episode in the Time to Shine series. And my guest today, well, I'm going to let my guest introduce herself. Lola, please introduce yourself to the audience. Okay, hello everyone. Thank you for tuning in. So I am Lola Bijude and I am an early career strategist and I'm the founder of Solon Consultancy, which is an early careers consultancy company whereby we work with organisations to build um, support, holistic support for all their entry talent where they will thrive in their career as opposed to survive in the job. Um, We also work for individuals to provide one-to-one career coaching to help plan career trajectories, um, possibly to pivot if you need to, and just make sure you are the architects of your career. Awesome. Awesome. So we kind of done with my first usual question, but I'm going to cheat because normally I have a bit of an icebreaker and my icebreaker is this. So what is your favorite genre of music and why? Now, I ask this because you probably can't remember whether, whether we've actually had this conversation before, but in my earlier days, I was a DJ. So I, music is a big part. I've been a DJ. I've been a record producer. I've ran an independent record label. So obviously music is a massive part of my life. So I always like to know what other people think when it comes to music. Good question. Um... My favourite genre of music would have to be Afrobeats. And Afrobeats, not just from when it's blown up now with the likes of Burner Boy and Kids, but from the likes of, obviously, the, oh, the daddy of Afrobeats, um, Fela Vance Kuti. Oh, and OK. Also, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also the likes of King Sonny Ade. I Nico knew you were going to say that. <laughs> have to go back there. 
Um, that's what was playing in our household when I grew up. So we had yeah. a lot of King Sonia Ade, we had a lot of Ebenezer um, Obe as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, Fella, I fell in love with like Fella and his beats um, when I was growing up. And like the, the what I what I'm most happy about is this new genre of Afrobeat artists is they do give homage to those who came before them. So they fully understand they are not the originators. They are literally just growing or, you know, moving along the journey because the doors have already been opened for them. And they usually reference the, the, the daddies, as it were, of Afrobeats in their records. So for me now, I know it's all mainstream, but when I hear, I just love it. I, I, can't, I can't say anything else, but for me, that's when I... You can't be Afrobeat simple. Yeah, I have <laughs> yeah. to agree. I have to agree. One of my earliest memories from a musical perspective was um, I got my dad's uh, Sunny Ade record. It was Motimo. Yeah. And that was, my, that was my favorite song. I loved that song. I played it over and over and over and over again. My dad used to look at me like, because he was. So he was very eclectic. He got me into Motown. He got me into yeah. all the same, same as you, Ebenezer Bay fella, um, Sunny Ade. And so I had, I, but there was something about that particular record that I just gravitated to. Mm. And I think even now when I listen to Afrobeats and, um, you know, the likes of Wizkid, Burner Boy, uh, Fireboy, DML, all of these yeah. guys, I always gravitate to the ones that have more of that rhythmic sound, the, the original yeah. rhythm of um, our traditional music in there. Yeah. Um, I like the, the djembe drum in there. I like, let me hear that. The, the, let me hear that you're incorporating the source. Yeah, the, the source. Exactly. Let exactly. me hear the source. And I don't know whether you're authentic or not. And <laughs> that. So when I hear certain ones, um, I'm just like, yeah, you, you're really tapping into the source. You're really yeah. tapping into the source. So for me, my King Sunny Ade tune was Ja For Me. So whenever okay. I hear anything like that, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, <laughs> in, the, I'm in the zone. So yeah, I feel like, and I think Burner Boy does it really well. He does. And he always gives accolades to those who came before him. So that's why I do appreciate some of his tunes where I can really hear that. I can really, really hear the rhythm, like the source. Um, but yeah, so that's my that's my genre of all time. Once I'm hearing that, that's my workout done. Right, <laughs> cool, cool. Okay, cool. Right now, let's get back to uh, let's get back to business. <laughs> so, um, if we go back to where all of this started for you, um, can you tell us when that sort of when that light bulb moment was? What made you realize you were entrepreneurial? Now. I know we'd had conversations when we were both at Barclays, but, you know, it was like one day I went to LinkedIn and I was like, oh, <laughs> she's done it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I done, done it. Um, I think for me, and you know what? The thing is, I have always been entrepreneurial, but I didn't realize at the time that's what I was. So an example, and I say always, I'm going to take it all the way back now. So when I was in primary school, I've always been good with doing hair. So I could always do French plaits. I could, you know, what came over for us, but, you know, French plaits. I could do all of that. And some of my friends and 
I think for a few years I was the only white girl, which is really weird because I'm school in East London. But I was doing their hair. And I was getting requests. I was like, yeah, okay, um, 20p. Hmm? Yeah, 20p. <laughs> Bring your money. <laughs> so even then, so when I was coming back, I thought, how did you buy sweets? I don't stop by where are you get money from. I'm like, oh mum, I'm doing the hair. She's like, hey, okay. So I've always been there when I was in, and I did that via like primary school and secondary school as well. And obviously the money went up. In college, um, I used to arrange, <laughs> I used to arrange movie nights in the afternoon. So I went to college in East London with a high Bengali population. Um, who are mostly Muslim and the girls couldn't go out in the evenings and some of the boys could go out in the evenings. So in the, in the common room, I would get videos and show films and charge at the door. Um, oh. I used to arrange excursions to Alton Towers at the end of the year and ask my friends whose dad had, um, you know, a Tandoria house, can I use your um, wholesale cards? We used to go and buy buns, cheese cans or drinks so you would get an t- entrance into Alton Towers and you would get a packed lunch and we would just pay the driver and pay entry and get a discount for students so it's always been within me to do my own thing yeah and whilst I was in the corporate um sector I realized that one thing that I really did like doing was, was talking to the entry talent that was coming in and giving them advice and guiding them and I could see the difference it was making in their progress. So particularly during the graduate program, they would come in all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed with their first and two ones from the Russell Group universities. And these are individuals who have never worked, they've never had work experience. And I would say they had work exposure because they've done internships and work experience. And I said to them, you haven't, you haven't got work experience, you've got work exposure. Okay, so you know how to swipe in. And that's about it, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, so I used to give them tips, run a few brown bag sessions during lunch, um, you know, emails, keep it short. No one's got time for a war and peace. Simple tips that no one would tell them because they transitioned from academia to the work environment. As you know, um, within banking, time is precious. Yeah. So okay, how do you make yourself heard? How do you ensure that the value you're bringing to the table is being recognised and attributed to you? So giving them these quick tips. So I was doing it all for it and doing it for my younger ones as well and seeing their rise and their organisations. And they would ask their friends, I'll go and talk to our auntie Lola, she'll really help you out and help with your CV, interview preparation, negotiation skills. We're just there saying, yes, thank you. You're not negotiating for anything. Um, so in 2017, I had already said to my husband that, sweetheart, I'm going to give him my resignation. Um, I really can't do this for much longer. Been doing it for 20 years plus, And I think, you know, I just need to be at home. The boys were, some of the, I also was already in secondary school and I think that's, we just yeah. need to be at home for the boys a bit more. Um, he was like, really, are you sure? I don't think you just, sweetheart. It was just an FYI. It's <laughs> 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 so sweet in this conversation. Um, like, really? I said, yes, it's time. It really is time. What we do, I'm gonna have my own business. So whilst I was, you know, literally um, writing my resignation letter, and it was before the Easter half, Easter holidays, and my friend and I had, um, had arranged like all our children um, on a skiing trip. So I got a call in to the office, 
and my boss was outside of London saying, oh, well, we're just waiting for HR. Like, HR care, what's going on? What's, what's HR for now? And she was like, you know, well, you know, you're a high, um, highly paid individual in a high cost location. I was like, okay, so what does it mean? She, you know, we, we don't want to lose you as the bank. And I'm already talking to risk. They're looking for a new coup. I want to put your name forward. Um, there's well, um, digital, duh, duh, whether you can move maybe into work. I was like, okay. And the HR lady was beside me. And I just said to her, can you just write this? What are my numbers? <laughs> and she wrote down my numbers. Said, that was good. Thank you. <laughs> I said, oh, God, thank you. Thank you. You have honoured my faithfulness. You knew I was about to leave and you don't want to leave empty-handed. I was like, thank you. I was like, absolutely thank you. So even when I was arranging interviews, I was like, mm, no, I'm going to start my own thing. I'm going to start my own thing. And the nerves and the fear kicked in. So I said, what I will do is I will contract until my business picks up. And God said, no, you're not. You're just going to start your business. So I was going for all these contracting. And these were contracting roles with people that I've worked with and I was contracting previously. Yeah. So we really had a relationship. And the interviews were basically either was going out for lunch, um, going out for drinks, going out for dinner. And then I would get the call. Oh, Lord, I would know what the budget's just been put on hold for this project. But once it started, you're in the door. And after doing that about three times, I said, okay, well, thank you. I've got the message. We're back. Hey, <laughs> let's do this. Um, so for me, I think I've always been entrepreneurial in spirit. But making that jump to say I'm going to start legitimately on my own, you have to be ready. And I and my 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 mantra now is feel the fear, feel the fear and do it anyway, and turn the fear into fuel to move you forward. Put that into yeah. your engine, turn it into fuel to move you forward. Because if you don't, yeah. it will drag you back. And you won't be able to move forward because you'll be stagnant. If you're not going back, if you're not regressing, you are stagnant. So it is a big journey. It's a big step. But you have to prepare yourself mentally for it. And you have to make sure you've got the right network around you to continuously encourage you. And I think when you're really, when you've got that in place and you've done the, you've done the groundwork, get a, get a mentor before you start making a jump. So they will give you guidance. So you don't repeat unnecessary mistakes because not all mistakes are learning. Well, you do learn, but there's things you really didn't need to, you didn't have to go through there to understand that. Um, and then do it and keep pushing through it. Turn that fear into fuel, pull it into your car and keep driving forward. But yeah, my entrepreneurial spirit, it has always been there. But I think I got to a certain point whereby I was just like, you know what? You have got so much to give. And there is a market. The market has been tested for all the time you have been doing this. You might have to test your price points, but it's an adjustment. Yeah. And you're going to build upon that. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You, you touched on so many things, especially stuff that I can relate to. Just that whole thing about taking your fear and turning it into fuel. Yeah. I can so relate to that because the biggest, I think the biggest thing is overcoming your fear mm-hmm. and um there was a um steve harvey famous steve harvey speech where he just he talks about jumping just taking that jump yeah. and um i always go back to that because it is that it's that jumping off the cliff not knowing whether you can fly 
but mm. trusting that you won't hit the ground. Mm. And, and what, it's, it's exactly like, what it does, it actually reinforces confidence within yourself. Because if you don't do it, what you're inadvertently, what you're telling yourself is you're not capable of doing this or you haven't got what it takes. Yeah. That's the message you're sending to your brain. But the moment you do jump off that cliff, you're like, you're going to land and you're going to land strong. You can do this. Keep going. Keep going. You're like, yeah, yeah, of course I can. You're not going to jump and think I'm ready to die. You're thinking I'm going to jump and land far, land firmly yeah. on my feet. And that's the message. You, those are the signals and the message you keep sending to your brain. And it impacts, obviously, your feelings, your actions, and ultimately your results. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. I'm going to keep going because you, you, you touched on this, but... We're going to dig in a little bit deeper. So how often did you question your path and do you still have those moments? Um, I questioned my path when I first started because I tried to do a blended approach. So keep my hand into what I was, into what I'm known for, which is business management and strategy. Um, and I was, the aim was to support SMEs in Nigeria and Ghana, get their business strategy correct. And I did that with two clients and I realized, no, this is not where your passion is. So you're just doing this because you know you're good at it. It doesn't mean this is where your passion lies. So you're going to have to drop it like it's hot and mm-hmm. take the hit and invest your time and energies to where your passions are. Um, so I never doubted myself in that respect because not actually, you know what, just say how it is. I've got my receipts. Okay, yeah. so I know the people that I have mentored, the people that I have been, who've been a career coaching client, client of mine, both informally and formally, they can tell you about their growth and trajectory. Obviously, they've done their own work as well, but the framework which I, um, I provided for them and the way in which I engaged with them supported their journey as well. So at this moment in time, I really and truly don't have doubts. I'm more excited about more people that I can help than ever. This year in particular, there's just been a lot of things just click, 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 click into place. Um, and sometimes you do have those doubts. And particularly, like I said, that's why it's so important to surround yourself with the right people. And I say your network should be those who obviously iron sharpens iron, but they will add to your will of progress. They won't be the clogs that will try and prevent, that will, that will, they will, they will clogs that will prevent you from moving forward because of the narrative they're trying to draw into your head. But for me at this moment in time, and I think even be, during my journey, when I first started, I knew I had to drop the whole business strategy element because that's not my passion. That was just giving me a headache. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 I'm not doing this. I am not doing this again. And then when I focused on where my passions was, I could not turn back. Wow. I could not turn back. Awesome. Again, just reminding me of certain things. <laughs> So, okay. Um, so what motivates you as an entrepreneur? Uh, what motivates what motivates me is seeing the difference that I can make into people who have so much potential that, that possibly don't believe in themselves and are possibly being told they're not as great as what they actually are. Right. Yeah, so I do one of my um, one of my pro- uh, programs now. One of my services to organisations now is engage, empower, and retain services, where I look at how they engage with their entry talent, 
um, how they empower them and how they retain them, particularly those from ethnically diverse communities and low socioeconomic backgrounds. Predominantly, when you're from either or both of those categories, you've had certain narratives played in your ear for quite a long time. And you can start self-believing those. And you then you then live out those narratives as opposed to your own narrative. Right. And it's very important to make that distinction. So at the moment, my motivation is to ensure, and I say it, I think it's on the website everywhere, my motivation is to ensure everyone not only realises their full potential, but actually achieves it as well. Wasted potential for me is a cardinal sin. So I will do everything possible to ensure that people don't fall victim to it. Whether it's removing removing, um, self-blockers that you place in your own head or external blockers. So that is my motivation in doing what I do and to keep going. That's awesome. That is really good. (laughs) Um, So what are the top three characteristics every entrepreneur should have, in your opinion? Passion. Passion in what you're doing. Um, Resilience. Because you are going to be like, you know what, I, I think agency, if you've got any roles going, please, yeah, I'm done with this entrepreneurial malarkey. Um, so I, I would definitely say passion, resilience, and self-belief. Self-belief. Believe in yourself. I always say if you don't believe in yourself, you make it very hard for anyone else to believe in you. Self-belief will take you a very long way and don't, yeah, self-belief. It will will definitely be, um, you definitely need passion. If you're not passionate about what you're doing, you would quit as soon as as it gets tough. You need resilience because if when it gets tough, you will just say, you'll want that, I'm done. Um, And self-belief, you have to believe in yourself. You can be as passionate and resilient as you can, but if you don't believe in yourself, how are you going to think how are you going to convince your prospective clients to believe in you? I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> I hear that. Oh, yeah. No, look, I, it's funny because if, if people, list, people have been listening and listening back sort of the last, throughout the last sort of 13 episodes, uh, season two anyway, um, even in season one of this, um, it's something that one of my biggest things is transparency. And I've always, you know, everyone that knows me, I tell people I live my life as an open book. Mm. Any question you ask me, I'm willing to answer. And one of the, one of the things I've always been very transparent about is that I think the biggest, my biggest strength is definitely self-belief because and it's what I instill in my girls. It's why I've always driven home to them that if you can dream it, mm. that means God has put everything you need to achieve it in, in you. Yeah. It's all in you. You just mm. need to work. You just need to put in the hard, the hard work. I'm not going to say it's easy. No. You just have to be strong enough to put in the work that's required to make that dream come true. But if God has given you the dream, it means he's given you everything you need. And mm. I truly believe that for myself, that everything I dream, it means I can achieve it. I may not be able to see it today, 
but I have the faith to believe that if I put in the work and I make the right connections, and that's the hard, that's the hard part. If and that's I, what faith is though, isn't it? Yeah. Faith is in belief in, you know, in what, in what not yet that is being seen, but you know, you can get that. That's faith. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, for me, I think whatever, whatever I conceive, God is just giving to me, there's your blueprint. It's yeah. there. You just yeah. now need yeah. to start putting, you know, start doing the, the tangible stuff to make it happen. Yeah. But the blueprint is there. Whether you choose to go with it or not, I've given you. Yeah. That's it. That's it. So <laughs> what are the top three mistakes you wish you avoided in your journey? I was so good. Top three mistakes. <laughs> I think the one I've just mentioned previously was trying to do the blended approach. Yeah. Um, and not just stick to the, the vision and just, you know, just, oh, I, I still put, you know, keep my hand in the whole, you know, business strategy side. That was a mistake because it probably cost me a year in my business. Um, and I didn't really need to go down that path. It was mentally exhausting. It was frustrating. Um, and it wasn't as though, you know, it was economically overwhelming in terms of what I generated from it. But again, that was when I let the fear infiltrate what the vision should have been from the yeah. get-go. So that would be one thing. Second thing would be not investing in the mentor straight away. Um thinking that my business strategy head, which I had in the corporate space, would take me through to being the entrepreneur. And I won't knock it. There are certain things I'm um, just like negotiation skills. <laughs> Got them on lockdown. But there are other things where I know I should have had a mentor and I would have prevented me making costly mistakes. Um, the final thing would probably be a lack of investment in processes and systems which is ridiculous coming for me because that's what I was that was one of my strengths I guess in the corporate space yeah. but then when you go so you're thinking oh I don't need that I don't need this I don't need that I can just do this I know how to use Excel so it's fine um but now just call me the systems queen um <laughs> so now all my systems are in place they all talk to each other it's super efficient it enhances the user journey it makes my life so much more easier so i gain i gain time and the front that you give to your clients is you are efficient effective and bloody organized so nothing is going to go astray and that's their first engagement with you so once when they get in reply, like, oh, here's the contract. Oh, we just agreed to it. And she's always under the everything is so smooth. They actually want to work with you. Because they're, yeah. they're not having to chase you for anything. They're not having to ask for anything. Everything is there. They understand how the program's going to run. They've got a checklist of what you're about. And they're just like, wow, okay. And I remember this from the time when I was up, I was in the corporate space having to deal with vendors. And you're, you know, chasing them for this, chasing them. It takes a lot of your time. You get frustrated. And you're thinking, I don't want to work with you again. Yeah. So being on the receiving side, I wish I invested um, more quickly into my processes and systems. But I've got there in the end. <laughs> awesome. And I would just like to remind people, this is not a paid advertisement. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I bang on about processes systems and because to me okay my background 
is is still you know statistics and and analytics but one you know the fact that i i went from being a pure quantitative analyst to a business analyst to business architecture meant that i built i started to get that deeper understanding of the need for processes and systems to make your organization more efficient but what i did was then hey, you can take this another step further by bringing in the, the quantitative elements and putting tolerances around your processes so you can start to auto- automate and find out when things are going wrong before they do. Yeah. Before it becomes a big problem, you can, hey, we're outside of tolerance here. We need to look at that step of the process. And it makes, you know, when I talk to people about it, some to some people it's like, woo, it's over their head. But it's such a basic thing. It's such a simple thing. And the difference that it makes to what you do is, yeah. is huge. It's huge. Yeah. So I love the fact that that's what you said. It's, you know, you, you just you know, add it's, it's so true, though, because people underestimate it until you're in a situation where, but even from your own background, you could be, oh, um, you've done the job for the client. And then, you know, you've submitted your invoice and then um, their accounts payable comes to you and says, oh, where's the PO number? Huh? <laughs> I'm expecting payment, my friend. What type of PO number are you asking me for? Because you haven't checked your processes. You've delivered and you haven't found out what is required for payment before you get paid. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Check yeah. your processes. And if they don't have a PO number, you still factor into your process and they can say to you, we don't have a PO number, we use this. It's still within your process. So you find out from the the start, what do I need to get paid? Not when I've I've delivered it. You're like, hey, paid it. Like, no, it's not. Won't be paid for another three three weeks, months, the way you're going, love. Processes count, people. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, let's go. Now, this one, this one is very relevant because... Obviously, with your your recent LinkedIn post and everything you've been talking about, how did you go about building your team and what advice would you give future leaders? Right. I went initially, so I've been building a team for quite some time. But when I say team, these are my um, Upwork people and my Fiverr people, which is fine because at that moment in time, it works for me. Um, And we had a few hiccups. So you have to go through your selection process quite uh, rigorously when you're using Fiverr and Upwork. Not that they haven't got good candidates, but you need to make sure you've got a job description. So my learning from that was what are the things that I can outsource to someone else? What skill set do they need? What experience levels do they need? How much of my time will I need to actually manage them? Because you have to factor whilst you're offloading some time, whilst you're offloading some tasks and you're gaining some time, you'll also need time to, one, manage them, but also to engage with them as well so you're not working in silos and making sure the team collaboration is happening. Um, So what I did in this instance is, one, write the job description, write down in detail everything that needs to be done, the skill set that is required and the level of experience. Also, because I am a knowledge sharer, what things can I pass on this pe- to this person that will help build them up? Okay, so whilst I want them to do work, what other aspects will also help their self-development that I could share? And how much time per week could I spare to do that? So what I've done now with um, 
my new hire, is every week outside of her working hours, well, within her working hours, but not contractual hours, is actually no, it's within her contractual hours, sorry. We have an hour, which is not our weekly catch-up, which is her personal development time. Now, I understand this is not feasible for everyone, but because she's quite, she's starting out in her career, I felt it would be very beneficial to have that conversation with her. So that's what we do. And then on a Wednesday, we have a one-on-one meeting whereby we then discuss, you know, what you're working on, what projects, what interests you want to get more deeper into in terms of working within the business. So don't just say, well, I need someone to do X, Y, Z. For me personally, what are you going to give to that person as well? Because that's how you build engagement and it's more of an exchange. That's great. That's great. It's um, it takes me back to something that I was reading earlier this week. So I think I'm not sure if you saw the post. I'm working. I've been talking to a lot of people about the setup, the business architecture for an analytical team. And as part of just preparing what I was doing, because one of the, the things I talk to people about the most, especially analytical teams, because they don't seem to get this is value exchange. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's exactly what you're talking about here, that, you know, you're getting value from them in terms of them coming to work for you and deliver certain tasks, but you're also giving value back to them. Yeah. And that's, a, and, you know, people might say the value that you're giving them is the, is the money, but it's bigger than that. That because doesn't could, keep anyone. Yeah, you can go anywhere and get paid. That that's the That's the most basic part of the value exchange it's and that's what, a differentiating factor when people think, well, the value is they get a salary. Okay. And then look at your attrition rate. Yeah. Because that will only keep someone for so long. Yeah. And then they will go. Yeah. So like you said, that value exchange is very, very critical. And no matter which, I mean, obviously I'm doing, um, I do two hours a week, but no matter what level someone comes in at, they still expect a value exchange, whether they verbalize it or not they will be expecting a value exchange, which is outside of the monetary aspects. Yeah. It was to be to be fair, it was that was the problem for me with Barclays. It was why they lost me and I mm. never went back. Even mm. when I went back as a contractor, um, and they tried to offer me a permanent role and they flashed six figures in front of me, I still said no. Because I'd already had the experience of knowing that I wouldn't be valued. Yeah. And they wouldn't invest in me the way that I believed I deserved to be invested in. So it's so, it's so, so crucial. And and this is one of the things I drive home when I'm working with organizations about entry talent. Um, I've got a phrase for them that's, you know, a lot of them now, particularly the ones that are coming in. Um, that come into the workforce now, they are quite frankly, they are bullshit, into- bullshit intolerant. It's like we want X, Y, Z because they believe they deserve it quite rightly yeah. so. So if you can't get it, like, if you can't give it to me, it's fine. I will go elsewhere. Yeah. You know, the, the, the notion of, you know, um, an attitude of gratitude that you've got this job, you're working this big company, doesn't quite cut the mustard. No. What value am I getting here? Am I being valued? Because if I'm not, I'm going to have to hop, skip and jump out of the organisation, I'm afraid. Yeah. And that's what happens. And that's what happens. Some of it is, you know, is mismanagement of expectations. But some of it is straight out, there's no value exchange here. Yeah. 
I'm having a very similar conversation with um, the police forces that I'm working with at the moment about, again, with their analytical staff, how are they going to attract and retain the right sort of talent? Because at the moment, public sector, the salary is not going to cut it. So what what value are you going to give them to, to keep them away from looking at those very lucrative banking jobs that require the same skill set. How are you going to, you know, how are you going to keep them interested? And at the moment, they're struggling to answer that question. And if you can't answer the question, well, how do you, how do you mitigate the risk? Yeah. So it's a, yeah, fun one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, So we've kind of touched on this, but we can go a bit deeper. Um, What do you look for in an employee or a collaborator? Value alignment. So are our values matching? If they're not matching, we're going to have problems, whether you're an employee or whether you're a collaborator. Our value alignment has to be in sync. Um, For me, that is absolutely fundamental. If If we're not in sync with our values, then I can't work with you, you can't work for me because we all start rubbing each other up the wrong way very quickly and we become dysfunctional. Yeah. And that's the same when you go into an organisation. If there's no value alignment, you will not last in that organisation. You will get frustrated. They will get frustrated. And it becomes a lose-lose on both sides. So for me, the key thing that I look for is value alignment. I'm quite clear about what my values are. I ask in, in interviews, what are your values? What would your friends say about you? That's interesting. That's interesting because, so here's a scenario. And um, again, I'll I'll use myself as the example. (laughs) So I, for the, you know, the history between black people and the police. We don't even have to go over this one. So when they approached me the first time, I told them to take a running jump. I'm not interested. And I did that three or four times before I actually Mm -hmm. accepted to go and speak with them. Mm. Fast forward, I'm now, I've now been with uh, the, the two forces working with them for the last three years on various projects. Mm. The biggest thing that attracted me or that made me accept to work with them was the fact that for me, I am someone that truly believes in protecting people um, My, I changed my LinkedIn profile to reflect that my life is about helping people, mm. whether it's via this podcast, whether it's business wise, everything I do has to send. That is who I am. My passion yeah, is for helping people. Mm-hmm. So based on what you believe the police stands for, our values, their, their organizational values and my personal values align. Mm. Or so you think. So you would hope. Yeah. <laughs> But when you get into the organization, it feels like you're like an upward. And this is not me being um, derogatory towards the police force. I think there were some great people who share the same values as me. And I think for the most part, the majority of people share the same values as me. But whilst the institution has this value, Mm. the the structures or the or the found let me see 
the yes the structure that is in place the way mm-hmm. it operates as business model is contrary to its values yeah yeah and what i mean by that is yes they they emphasize the operational aspect of protecting people or dealing with the problems but that's mm-hmm. more the fire it's more of a firefighting Fire approach yeah whereas trying to get them to understand that hey if you take care of this stuff you're we're moving to a data centric world if you take care of your back of house stuff mm. your processes your mm. data the quality all of these things that firefighting goes away yeah, because you sure. can be very specific very targeted very focused yeah and it's getting that it seems like an it seems like a constant battle to get people to understand that now is that a value alignment problem or would you say that's a, a, a different kind of problem i would say that's a different type of problem simply because their values and your values do align the way in which their operational i would say the operational side of it is where the disalignment is coming is where the unalignment is coming or disalignment. That's where it's coming from. Because fundamentally, they, they are there to protect and serve the public. They want to help people. The operations they have to do this has resulted in it not seeming that way. Yeah. But their fundamental answer, so is, I would say it's their operation that is a mess. Yeah. And that's what they need to work on. Their values, as we know, we are here to help and serve the the public, the the operational path of which they decide to go down and take a few U-turns along the way is where there's problems. And that's what they need to sort out. Yeah. Makes makes perfect sense. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that one. Okay, so, oh, this is a fun one. Can you give an example of your biggest win and your biggest loss and what each of them taught you? Oh, that is a fun one, isn't it? Um, I would say my biggest win and my biggest loss would be one in the same incident. Right. So when I when I started, um, and I was saying goodbye to the business strategy side of things, I just finished with the one client that I had. He was based in Nigeria. And she um, she spoke quite highly of me to another organisation also based in Nigeria. And they were offering me a really tidy sum that I didn't think I would get from working with a Nigerian organisation simply because of the Naira conversion me to come and work with them. And I could work remotely, but I would need to travel back to Nigeria at least once a month. And obviously that's all going to get paid for. And that's when I had the, that's when I turned my fear into fuel. And I said, actually, I'm going to follow my passion and business strategy with an organization that's quite frankly a shit show mm. uh, is, not, <laughs> is, is not competition enough to take me away from my passion. Um, so I said, no. So it was, it was my biggest win that enabled me to focus on my passion and my vision and carry it out. Um, and probably, probably my biggest loss because financially it was ridiculously lucrative. 
So I'm not even quite sure whether I can put that down as a loss, but if I look at it in monetary terms, I probably would say that. Um, but yeah, apart from that, it, there's it's mostly been wins. Oh, that's great. Like, of, 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 you know, different varieties, but I can, when you can sit back and you can look at your growth, um, you know, in, in different areas, I'm just like, actually, no, this is, I can see the difference and I can see the growth happening. So I would say that's the only reason why I would, I would term that as a loss because when you're in business, you're there to make a profit. Yeah, um, and that definitely would have put me into um, very healthy profit, but it just wasn't aligned to my passion. Cool. I I get it. I, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> hey, no. I, look, I am, I think... I've become more and more of an advocate of following your dream and following what you are passionate about, especially when it comes to work. Because when you do something you weren't created to do, all it is is frustration. And eventually you will suffer some kind of um, mental block it Men- takes its toll on you. Yeah, it does. It does. And I always say to people, your mental health is a sliding scale. Yeah. You have your good days and you have your bad days. But doing something that doesn't align with what you are passionate about and what you were created mm-hmm. to do puts you more towards the bad days. Yeah. Because you, you have more of them as well. Yeah. So, no, I completely get it. It doesn't matter how beneficial you know like right now i hate business analysis i i hate it with a passion not because not because i hate um not because i hate business analysis as a concept of, of what it is i hate what organizations have turned it into, into yeah they've turned it into glorified document writing yeah and, and i hate that that's not what business analyst is we're business analysts are internal consultants yeah, that's how, they, that's how it should be treated. Yeah. So I find it so frustrating. And I, I that's why I don't label myself as a business analyst anymore. I hate people referring to me as a business analyst. And I started to move more towards business architecture. But I couldn't imagine, you know, when I had that, when I took the, the, the uh, career break, it was because of that frustration. Mm. I, I, I was no longer passionate about business analysis because what I loved had been turned into something that I that I didn't want to do. So I I could totally get it. It doesn't matter how much you pay me. I wouldn't want to be a business or or what they term a business analyst nowadays. And that's just it. I mean, when, before I left Barclays and I was thinking about resigning, I think it was at the time our eldest son, and this was before working up from home was a thing. He's a mum. You're working from home more than you're working in the office. Like, yeah, it's time, it's time to go, boy. It's <laughs> just like, from the time your child is noticing these things. And it's like I said, working from home wasn't a thing then. I made yeah. it a thing. It's like, you're working from home, mum. Okay. Okay. Mm, okay, interesting. And I said, yeah. You know, let me not tarnish my reputation. Yeah. Let me just say my goodbyes here and now, which is what it was turned into. Like, um, you know, just email me when I'm working from home. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I've been there. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so 
What is your idea generation and evaluation process? And how do you know when you've landed on a good idea? Okay, good one. Um, you know, it's really bizarre. My idea generations are very random, very, very random. I could be, I love going out, we've got a really lovely garden. I love going to the garden, just do my thing. And I'll just be thinking like, what could I do to make entry talents first five years in the corporate space? Not so much, I don't want them to survive. What could I do to really help them shine? And I would just start thinking like very creatively, creatively, what could what could happen? What could really help with them? And I think, oh, maybe that's an idea. And then I'll start thinking, okay, who really has a bad time when they first start in the corporate space? Going back to my own experience as a black female, yeah, that wasn't nice when I first started in the corporate space. Um, people from low socioeconomic background who haven't had the social capital to get work exposure before. Um, and then I will start firing out ideas to prospective clients. What are you doing to support your entry talent from low socioeconomic backgrounds? What are you doing to support your entry talent from ethnically diverse communities? And using data to show them why holistic, you know, one size fits all approach does not work. So what are you doing? Get them to think about it. Oh, Lola, can we have a call? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then just find a bit more out about what are their pain points. It turns out, hey, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Our highest attrition rate are usually black males. Why is that? Well, let's talk about it, shall we? Mm. Yeah, I've got a workshop can help with that. In fact, you know, I've got a program that can help with that. I've got a half-day workshop, a full-day workshop. I've got a full-month program. Hit me. Which one do you want first? Let's start with the half days. So you can get a feel for how I work. And it very much is, I look to my purpose and my passion. What, and similar to what we said before, we've always been given a blueprint, right, as to what we are put on this earth to do. Yeah. But what extra sprinkles can we then send out to the world to make our passion a tangible service or product? And that is the whole feasibility process right there. Yeah. And to date, I have to say it's worked in terms of actually this needs attention. You know, is it females? Okay, is it females who need a bit more support in terms of you need to speak up? You can't allow, you know, guys just to be talking over you or just nick your ideas and be silent. You need to make yourself visible. You need to know how to negotiate. Just learn, please, how to negotiate. Don't just accept the version that they give to you. Um, yes, that was definitely viable. How to navigate the corporate landscape as a black person, definitely required. And what you do is that you find out the more you put your services out there or your ideas out there, the more they attract people who your service was put out there to attract. They're like, oh my gosh, yeah. she's just read my mind. How does she know? Oh my, yes, we need to do this program. What else do you do? That's the whole idea generation. Like I will come up with a concept and I'll put it out there to my target market for them to feed on it and see if they say, do you have any more of that? That was really good. If they're like, mm, interesting and nothing, okay, maybe you're not ready for it at the moment, but it's been placed in my head for a reason. So yeah. maybe the next year you'll be ready for it and I'll come back at you then. 
I was going to say, while you were talking, there was one that came. Have you done a program for, um, uh, maybe it's not, maybe it's not relevant anymore. You tell me, but well, if you think about, you know, children of African immigrants, our generation. Yeah. When I entered the workspace, mm. I had a major issue with with speaking up when the person was older than me. Oh yeah, that, that, that's 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 um, um there was just so many speaking up when the person was older than me, um assertiveness at first, mm-hmm. and I had to break all of these things out of myself, and I vowed never to never to stifle my children's assertiveness so I let them speak to I let them come back to me with their rebuttals their arguments whatever it's only when they start to cross the line I'm like hey 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 remember remember who you're talking to now take your tone down check your voice check what you're talking but argue your point and if I'm wrong I will admit that I'm wrong so I'm trying to get them to not to be afraid to challenge people because when we were young, our parents were like, that's your... How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Sometimes, sometimes the slap came before they even gave me an... <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I think with our generation, it was there. With this generation, yeah, that's gone. That's out the oh. window. That's That's but where where it is required and what I where I do if it is needed I do offer it to um, international students. Right. Okay. Yeah. So if you are coming, let's use our I have teachers as an example. If you're coming from Nigeria to come here to do your masters, that's where it is needed. Okay, because your lecturer doesn't want you to call them sir or ma. When you got in, when you you know, get a placement or you get a job, you are expected to come with ideas, even if they oppose your boss's ideas. And that's not that it. You want me to tell me that it's not a good oh, no, So that's where that particular line of coaching comes yeah. in. And I, I call it um cultural competency within your career progress because you have to understand that what works in Nigeria in terms of interacting with your boss doesn't work within ABN or Barclays or it's it's not transferable my friend please just bag that there and when I'm talking they're like no no, I do understand because I've worked in Nigeria I used to work at Zenith so I totally get you and it was a shock to my system going there starting work at 7 a.m. And my boss at 7 p.m. was saying, ah, well, where are you going? Who <laughs> won? See you tomorrow, mate. And it was like that type of so there was like, oh, okay, you were just yes, I'm gonna tell Zenith. So I understand what you're come where you're coming from in terms of um line manager to subordinate relationships, but it's not transferable over here. Yeah. In any shape, size, or form. So drop it like it's hot at Matai Muhammad Airport. When you come through Heathrow, it's a whole new way that you engage with your with your line manager. It's not transferable. So that's where that um, coaching is needed. 
for that those those particular individuals bless them yeah i feel sorry for those guys because that is a hard hard word to it is it is hard but luckily they're in an environment where they see it yeah. and whilst it may not sit easy with them what they will then be seeing is seeing the progress of those who are engaging on a level and if they do want to progress if they do want to get a job then they also need to do so yeah which yeah. is what they see for themselves. And another thing is really quite um, interesting. I did a workshop with um, the guys who just finished their MBAs and their masters from Imperial um, Business School. And I said to them, you know, I said to them, also, you have to explain how your name is pronounced. Because if you hear it wrongly over and over again, you will become like a pressure cooker. And he would just say something like, oh, no, no, my name is not Lolo. It's not Lolo. <laughs> So you know what? Repeat it from day one yeah. and get acclimatized to it. It's an education for them as well, but keep going with it. And one goes, oh, I'm so glad you said that because yeah, it was really just, I don't know. I've said it over and over again. And he said, no, so you just take him aside. And he said, you know, the first time he said, oh, no, that's what I said. That's, that's a very common one. I said, no, it's not. Yeah. Because I wouldn't have had to correct you. So this is how you pronounce it. And you keep on saying it. And he was like, I said, if, you know, if it gets to the point, it's HR, old boy, because, you know, it's, it's, it's an offence. And he's like, okay. And, and I think because we, we connected on LinkedIn, he's like, oh, well, thank you so much. You know, after I explained to him why it's so important, um, he was like, okay, I didn't realise, I'm sorry, okay, is this the correct way to say it? Even before he said that, I can see in his mind, he's thinking, I need to get this correct. So he will pause, think, and then speak. I said, good. If you need to drink a glass of water... <laughs> <laughs> as long as you get your name correct, it's fine. Oh, so, yeah. gosh. oh no, that's cool. <laughs> right, we're on the last question, the last one. And this one, this one's fun. Um, so how do you balance the sacrifice needed to be successful with the R and R needed to remain sane and avoid burnout? I always say, what is your definition of success? So I've got a very holistic version of success. It's my my business is in profit. Um, obviously, the healthier the profit, the happier I will be. But I've, I'm very blessed in the sense that whilst I was working in the corporate space, I made investments. So we bought properties. Um, and that's given me the leverage now to say, well, actually, I'm going to work in my business three days a week. My Monday is my me for me day, which is I can do anything. If I choose to work, I will choose to work. If I choose to go to the garden, like I need to go and prune back the grapes, I will go and do that. So that's my me for me day. If I choose to just lie in bed and read, that's my business. Um, I One of the primary reasons why I wanted to work for myself was to spend more time with my children as they are growing, to have that support around them. I didn't want them to be latchkey kids. Because as you know, you'll come back from work at whatever o'clock and then you're back on the laptop catching up on work or talking to the oh, new guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I said, no, I want to know that, I want my children to know I'm emotionally available to them. When their day ends, I'm here for them. I'm here for them. Even if I'm working late in the office now at home, they can come in, we can gist, we can have a laugh. I will take a break. We'll do what needs to be done. So my version of success is my business is profitable. I'm making an impact in the lives of um, entry and rising talent. 
I am changing the way organizations are engaging, empowering, and retaining rising talent and entry talent. And more important than that, I've got quality time with my family. And I'm emotionally available to my children, to my husband during the week, as well as the weekends. So success for me, what is your definition of success? So if I wanted to say, yes, my 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 um, company, I want Swimming Consultancy um, to turn over, um, you know, I don't know, seven figures. I want to be a seven. What am I willing to sacrifice for that? Mm-hmm. Really and truly. And what do I need that type of finance for? I'm not, I'm not hating anyone whose business turns over seven figures. I hail you. I really do. I know that's a lot of bloody work. But for me at the moment, what it was, and my elders always <laughs> my elders always said, oh, mummy, Barclays mummy, splash the cash, splash the cash, splash, splash, splash the cash. Now we have prudent mummy. How much is that? Are you sure? Okay. I said, you know what? <laughs> my elf has mouth, but you know what? It's good. He's making his money now as well. I'm being prudent, darling. Okay, so when I checked my when I checked my spending, did I really need to spend, I don't know, £10 a day on food? Did I? Glossiness Wex? Go into Ted Baker, yeah. Hermillion, Mango and Zara on a weekly basis. I don't think I can, sweetheart. Yep. You know? Yep. I said so it. I said it. It's literally like, you know what? It's perspective. Yeah. And now what I can do, I actually have more time to join other organizations that align with my values. And whether it's on a volunteer basis, I'm a governor at a school. Um, like I said, I'm a committee member for ASEN. Um, I started up another company with another lady who we met on LinkedIn called the Talent Bridge, um, which does the same thing, but more of an HR focus. I'm able to really live my passion through multiple channels, which for me is success. Yeah. So when people say, you know, what are you willing to sacrifice? I've made my sacrifices early on in my career. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now it's about my passion which obviously includes number one, my family and living through my passion through what I do as work. And for me, that is my version of success. No, that's great. That's a great answer. I, I think, um, yeah, I can definitely relate to the, the, the Barclays version. Yeah. because, But, but do you know, so I've always said that my early contracting career and not even contracting my my Barclays because I was at Barclays before I went contracting and Mm. my Barclays career defined the next seven eight years after after I left and it was they basically broke me into a habit of I was in the office by seven Mm. I left the office seven eight I got home and had an hour to eat my dinner, say hello to my wife and my newborn child. Mm-hmm. And then I was back on my laptop because someone would phone me at around 9 30, 10 yeah. and tell me that I needed to either join a conference call with the New York guys yeah. or to um, help them pre- prepare a presentation for SX level. Yeah. 
And I would then work from 9 30, 10 till maybe midnight, have yeah. to go to sleep to get up at five o'clock and do it all again. And that so. became that became my life. Even when I left, I the reason why I was a high-earning contractor was because I worked as though I was still an employee. Yeah. And I put in the crazy hours. And yes, I was rewarded. And that's how I splashed the cash. But yeah. then when I realized what I was splashing, what I was sacrificing to be in the position to splash the cash, it wasn't worth it. The trade-off was not worth it. it was, it's not worth it. And, and that's one of the things, I mean, whilst he jokes about it, you know, he was said, you know, what you're doing, Mom, you know, on a Friday, on a Friday, I would pick them from school, um, or from after school club take them to the local superstore, let them get their magazines and what have you. Um, and then on the way home, we'd always get a takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> and he would say, mum, at the end of the day, that was just your guilt spending. That's what yeah. that was. That was your guilt. You may not know it because you never seem to really think, I'm not guilty, you're getting a good life. He said, but probably that's what it was. You know, yeah. like, yeah, thank you, um, Dr. Simi. But it was, <laughs> it was that notion that, you know, I'm not there, I'm not there enough to do yeah. X, Y, Z. He said, but now you're all happy to say, Take away care for what? There's food now. Cook yeah. because you're at home. Yeah, you're at home. You're available to us and everything else. And I, like you said, it was that sacrifice of how much longer can I physically do this for? And what am I sacrificing? I'm sacrificing not being with the children, with the human beings I brought into this world. Yeah. Now, and I always used to say that if I drop down dead. The whole of Barclays won't give me a minute silence. Exactly. I it's not Bijude Bank, it's Barclays Bank. So it's these people at home who would suffer if anything should happen to me. Yeah. And so at that time I was just like, yeah, no. I've 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 put in my juice, but I started contracting. So with Simi, I was on leave. I took four, I took three months maternity with Simi. I went back contracting. Wow. With Somi, I took four months maternity with um and then went back to contracting by the time Shia came because I just started at Barclays I got six month paid maternity I was like ah, what is this what, what, what? it was a shock to the system you know and yeah. but it was that case or I think as well when you're doing those type of crazy hours for me I had a false sense of importance if I don't get into this if I don't get on this call oh my gosh you're going to see the Barclays price crash tomorrow I need to be on this call like no no, you don't. And when yeah. they had the blackberries and you made that silly mistake of checking your blackberries. Oh. Can you, can you believe that even as a contractor, I would be in I would be in Florida on holiday with the family and I'd be dialing into conference calls. No, because, you see, that be, was not me. Because I thought the project would go wrong if if I if I wasn't there to make sure that the requirements were still understood and people were doing what they said they were going to do. And the thing is, I got into such a such bad habits yeah. that I was because I was so used to not only doing my role, I'd be doing the, the PM's yeah. role, yeah. I'd be doing a developer's role, and I was just I was basically a one, one man, man team. team. Yeah, one man project team. So they took they loved it. They took full advantage of it. Yeah, no. I think uh, when it got when I realized I was the year 2017 was when I knew I was going to leave. And like I said, my friend, her kids, and my boys we went we went skiing in Korshaville. 
And I think my line man just said, that, oh, well, how would, was, will you still be online? No. <laughs> oh, I'm skiing, baby. I'm online. Oh, okay. She's like, you know, we, we, we do it. I think you're going when the project's going live. That's because it was put back. So... Yeah. Not my problem. Your funky team. Um, so yeah, no, I will not be reachable whilst I'm away on holiday. Yeah. And that's it. And that's it. Like now, once my laptop is off, don't phone me. Yeah. If you if you see on Teams that it says I'm not online, guess what? I'm not online. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that one doesn't fly. It doesn't fly. And and that's the great thing I feel about. When you are an entrepreneur, yeah. first of all, pay yourself mentally, physically, financially. Pay yourself first. Yeah. So prevent, to prevent you getting from that stage of having burnouts. Yeah. Always pay yourself first. No, that's awesome advice. And that's it. You, and have, <laughs> you have survived the time to shine questions. And you have definitely shown on this episode. I appreciate it so much. So tell the people how they can get in touch with you and what they should get in touch with you for. So if you are, um, if you are an entrepreneur and you've just started your journey, particularly if you are starting in the coaching space, um, like I alluded to earlier, I do have a pack. um, That's a very reasonable price point because I know you're just starting out. But what it does if you remember what we discussed about processes and systems, it helps set you up for success. Okay, so you can meet if you're if that's your if that's your thing, that's where you are, reach out to me on that. If you are in the corporate space and you are a rising talent and you may want to negotiate um, a new role, you want to pivot, you just want to get some career clarity and confidence of where you are and where you're going to. I am definitely the person for that. You can contact me via LinkedIn, which is Lola Bijide. You can go straight to the website, which is www.solomonconsultancy.com. And Solomon is not the usual way you spell it. It's S-O-L-U-M-N. You, I'm tired now. <laughs> start again. It is S-O-L-U-M-A-N consultancy um i'm on instagram as well at solomon consultancy and yes those are all the channels in which you can contact i am active on linkedin so once you send a connection request you will get a response so yes look forward to connecting with you all awesome awesome so i'm sure we will have lola back at some point again because the advice is invaluable and this is why I love doing the interviews because I learned so much um, during the interview process. So I want to thank you again for listening in. All Lola's details will be in the show notes. So you will be able to just click a button and connect straight to her. And if you do want more information, as I said, I will have her web address and everything on there. Um, for anyone who wants to be a guest on the Time to Shine episodes, please reach out to me, David, at dailyperspective.co.uk. And like I said, if you need help, if you're an analytical leader, analytical department that is struggling with being recognized for your value, then get in touch with me because I can help. That is what I'm here to do. I like to help people. So keep listening because 
This podcast is also here to help you as entrepreneurs who were getting started on your journey. And you may be an experienced entrepreneur who is maybe having some doubts or some, you know, you just need, you just need your own tribe. Well, we are here to be your tribe. So tune in, keep supporting us and we will keep putting out good content for you. But with that said, I will see you next week. Have a great week and be good to everyone around you. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Imperfectly Human podcast. Remember to subscribe and share this podcast. You can do this on your favorite streaming platforms.